The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. This is Robin Nelson with another edition of Russell Podcast. And my guest tonight is, I haven't seen him in a couple years, Chris Parsons, former pro wrestler, Magnum CK. How's it going, Chris? Well, it's going well, but I have to say your introduction reminded me of uh, one of my favorite wrestlers, which is Rick Rude. And uh, right after he lost the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam 89, he got to the back and Gene Erkelin said, former Intercontinental champion, and Rick Rude said, don't you call me former nothing, little man. And uh, the thing about former wrestler, it always makes me twinge just a little bit because uh, I don't think you ever stop being a wrestler. Uh, you could just ask Terry Funk. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, Terry Funk will never give up wrestling. That guy will still get into some bloody matches at his age. <laughs> yeah, this is a pleasure having you back on. Um, I had you on like, you know, a couple years ago when I was first starting podcasts where I was very green. Well, listen, uh, we all start out somewhere. We all start very green. Uh, but, you know, one thing I've always carried with me is I always try to remember what it's like, whether it's acting, whether it's uh, teaching or dealing with my kids or uh, wrestling, I always try to remember what it felt like to be young and new with something, and I always try to be extra extra understanding and gentle and guiding to people who are, are new to certain things. So uh, I have no bad memories at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either, and when I first uh, finally saw you, I saw you wrestling at Remix Pro where you won the ti- um, one of the titles there. I think it was... Uh, what was that title that you won? The, it was the Riot Championship. Yeah, the Riot Championship. That was a good match you were in. And then, like a couple months later from that, I saw you up in Cleveland at you know Old Time Wrestling, where you were your uh, great uncle Bruno. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Uh, for someone like me, you know, uh, some wrestlers don't like when I say this, but wrestling is acting. I'm sorry to break that to people who uh, are in wrestling and might think that it's real. Uh, it's acting. It's a very violent form. It's a very rough form of acting. But I love old wrestling, not just because uh, Mary Fontaine is one of my uh, one of my favorite people on the planet, a very good friend of mine, and he runs that. But it's a chance to get to act. You know, I I. I uh, I don't even say play Magnum CK because I think when you play a character long enough and well enough, they become a part of you. But, uh, you know, performing as Magnum CK and performing as Babyface Bruno and old wrestling are totally different things. So as an actor, I always love those opportunities to kind of stretch, stretch out my wings a little bit and be a little different. I totally agree, and you're very good at it. Um, when you finally, you know, left pro wrestling to uh, um, go uh, pursue more of acting because you've done a lot of stuff on stage and plays as an actor as well. And you also teach acting. So was it very hard for you to uh, uh, walk away from the ring? Well, the walking away part, I guess, or the limping away in in, in my uh, uh, case, uh, yeah, it was very hard. I mean, I I had a very serious back injury that I was working with for uh, just just a little over a year. Now, I didn't know the severity of that until about nine months into the injury, and I didn't really, really know how serious it was until I made the decision to stop. 
and, and try to heal up, which I which I have done and, and currently doing. But, uh, you know, it wasn't a choice I wanted to make at all. Um, but, I mean, that's life, right? I mean, I, I'll never say never to anything because, uh, you know, that's just the nature of wrestling and the nature of who I am. I'm a performer, and I think there's always a way. You know, you look at, I'll never compare myself to this guy, but you look at, like, like Shawn Michaels, you know, that guy came back from a very serious back injury and had probably the best run of his career. Now, that's not exactly my plan in my life, but um, it was it all lined up. You know, I had a very serious injury, and I had to make the decision to stop. And uh, at the time, I thought, hey, that means stop forever. And, uh, you know, it was the right choice because I've, I've, since, I've since healed up, and I've strengthened my body probably more than it ever has been so it was a hard choice but it was the right choice and you did the, hey i don't blame you one bit you know and then when you were talking about Shawn michaels also um let's talk about edge he was injured for a severe injury for a long time and you know he got back in the ring but anyways so uh since you're not you know in the ring anymore uh do you used to go walk into your closet and stare at those beautiful capes those colorful capes <laughs> my uh closet i see them every day um because i try to i try to take care of them because they're uh, not only were they an expensive uh you know investment uh and a worthwhile investment but they're they're important to me i mean you know it's funny like i said you know when, when you throw yourself into a character for so long and, and and if you do it right a character is really just an expense extension of part of yourself i mean that I've been uh, I've been an actor consistently for about the last 18 years, so I've played hundreds of different characters, you know, on stage and film and wrestling or sketch comedy or improv or whatever the case may be. But the best characters are, you know, Magnum CK. The character uh, is kind of a son of a bitch are we allowed to cuss are you guys sending this thing out to schools are we allowed to cuss on this yeah hey go ahead this is my show you can say whatever you want (laughs) well you know the character he's a real bastard you know and uh he's kind of full of himself and you know everybody every one of us has a little kernel of that type of personality i mean you have to be at least a little bit narcissistic to think that you could put on a pair of, you know, leather boots and spandex tights and take off your shirt and expect people to come pay to see you, you know? <laughs> doesn't mean you're a narcissist. That's just a narcissistic part of your personality. So I took that little tiny kernel and I just turned up the volume to a thousand and said, well, this character's full of himself. And they just clicked. And so you, you develop such a strong relationship with those characters. And, you know, Magnum CK to me is just as much a part of my personality as, you know, the fact that I like to work out or, you know, <laughs> or that, uh, you know, what my favorite foods are, whatever, it's just part of me. And, uh, so I take care of these. I have a little section in my basement and, uh, it's not a shrine, but it's just a wall of things that remind me of that character. And in my mind, that character is not dead. Hey, that's a good attitude to have. I bet you probably have a little bit of Bruno right there with Magnum CK too. <laughs> I do. Well, you know, the thing about the Babyface Bruno character is I, I was pitching uh, Marion Fontaine forever to bring me into old wrestling, which I never do. And you'll see that in the documentary. Uh, I talk about, you know, how I never really bothered promoters. I never wanted to push myself or be annoying. But 
that poor Marion Fontaine had to put up with me for months and months and months because I wanted to wrestle for old wrestling. And I pissed all these different characters and I wrote up all these treatments and copy, you know, just all these breakdowns and characters and I sent him recordings and videos and drawings and everything else. And he's like, yeah, man, all those characters are great, but how would you feel about playing an old-timey gangster? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I think that was a fun character, especially at old time wrestling. Another fun characters I enjoyed too were the Shoeshine Boys. Well, that's Billy and Marino, uh, two of my favorite, uh, two of my favorite people on earth. And I, I'm sure you'll hear me say that about a lot of people, but I know a lot of great people. But uh, those are two of the. Even my wife, you know, we're watching uh, edits of my of the documentary. Yeah. Every time Philly Marino pop up, she's like, "Man, I love those guys because they're just they're just genuinely amazing talents in the ring and super nice guys." So, what decided you to do a documentary um, when you called it Magnum's Opus? Well, uh, you know, we did a documentary about five years ago. Yep. Uh, my friend uh, Mike Rhodes and I did a documentary called Marking Out. It's on Amazon Prime, and it was just all about wrestling fans and, and, and uh, you know, wrestling shows in Shikara and comic book conventions and old wrestling, and it was just a fun thing. And, uh, you know, I guess it's been a while now. It's been over two years ago now. We decided, well, hey, let's make a sequel, you know, because I started wrestling again, because when we made the first one, I wasn't, uh, I'd taken about seven years off of wrestling, so... Uh, and I was wrestling again, and we're like, hey, let's make a documentary, do a little update, and uh, my story as a wrestler was just going to be a little part of it. You know, it was just going to be like, hey, you know, remember we made this first movie, here's the sequel, oh, he's wrestling again, and hey, look, he's having fun. But I was not going to be the focus of the piece. But, you know, we started shooting it, and then uh, once everything started happening with, you know, AIW, and I started taking off, getting very popular there, and then my injury the movie just kind of shifted and it became about that story. It was kind of like, uh, you know, when they, were, when they were shooting that documentary about Bret Hart wrestling with shadows and uh, then all of a sudden the Montreal Screwjob happens and it's like, oh, this movie's a lot different. You know, it's like we're shooting one movie, then I have that whole problem with my back and it's like, oh, well, this is a different movie now. So does it feel good to finally get it finished and all done? It's amazing. It's amazing. This has been a project that has been weighing on me because, like I said, originally it was just a fun little documentary and it was going to be a quick little fun, you know, sequel to our first little silly documentary. And it ended up becoming essentially a legacy piece for my years in wrestling. And, uh, or at least, you know, that time period, because I started wrestling in 2004 and had my last my last match was in 2018. So we're talking about almost 15 years. And so to get to tell that story, I spent about eight of those years as an active wrestler. Um, but I was always in the business. I was always doing commentary or writing or, you know, producing or whatever. And uh, to get to tell that story, you know, I, I was telling my therapist about it. I was like, you know, I have such anxiety about this movie and I just want to make sure we get it done and I don't want it to, you know, get lost. And it's just such a huge project because... I have, you know, I probably have 500 gigabytes of footage, you know, from matches to stuff we shot. And she's like, well, yeah, it's important to you because it's a legacy piece. This is your legacy. And I was like, I didn't think about it that way until then. And, and then it's very important to me. I mean, as far as projects I've done, 
especially film projects, is probably the most important thing I've ever done personally. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Um, um, you know, the way you're talking about it and saying some great stuff. It's it's going to be a real fun documentary. I saw your first one, Marking Out, which I enjoyed too. That was very fun and entertaining. So when you were shooting your documentary, what was the most memorable moment at that time when you were doing your documentary? I know you probably had a lot of it and a lot of, and plus you probably were stressed out as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll be honest, I, I, kind of a combo of marrying the, the perfect partner and being in therapy for a few years, I don't really get all that stressed out about a whole lot. I mean, like I said, I was worried about the, the documentary, but uh, that's probably just because it was such a personal, it's just a personal piece. But I never got too stressed out. Um, I'll tell you what, though, since then, I've gone to a few AIW shows to do some of their seminars and stuff, and it's really nice not to have to worry about filming it and just go get to be a human being, uh, as much as as much as pro wrestlers can be human beings. Uh, but, you know, the most memorable thing for me was that final match, because uh, uh, about five days before that, my final match is when I had to make the decision, and I kind of messaged John Thorne from AIW. I messaged him out of nowhere and said, hey, um, I'm going to have to probably drop your belt on Friday because here's the deal with my back. And he was totally understanding. And that night, just watching the footage and just talking about it right now, I have goosebumps because that was the most surreal night of my entire life because I had 500 fans just completely enraptured by every word I had to say and just showing me the most support I've ever felt, you know, and, uh, I had Eddie Kingston coming up and hugging me and Nick Gage pulling me aside to, you know, say some nice words to me and, you know, every everybody. I mean, even MJF, I'm sure you know who MJF is, and I don't want to spoil his gimmick, but MJF is a super nice guy. Uh, sorry, Max, but he's a nice guy. And uh, even MJF coming up to me and being like, man, buddy, like, geez, you know, I can't believe this. So for someone who values respect of their peers over a paycheck or quote-unquote success, it was the greatest night that I could have ever asked for in professional wrestling because it was very obvious that every one of those fans loved me and respected me, and it was very obvious that everyone in that locker room respected me too. So I, I wouldn't trade that night for anything. That's pretty good. So on that you know, final match of yours, was uh, Jock Sampson there as well? He was, and, and it was wonderful <laughs> that, that he was. And I, I see the back of his head and some of the some of the footage that we did too uh because when i came back to wrestling uh in 2016 he was very helpful because he got me you know i asked him if he wanted to maybe start a tag team and we did a tag team for a while and you know he took me on the road with him and and helped helped me you know integrate myself back in and and jock is one of those guys again sorry to kill his gimmick but he's probably one of the nicest dudes i've ever met in my life and um you know he is a locker room uh, superstar. I mean, everybody loves Jock in the locker room, you know. So to be riding with Jock Sampson for a year or whatever it was and show up and, and get to be part of that was very helpful to me because, you know, it, it, Jock Sampson's one of those guys where, and, and Colin Delaney said it, I, I don't know if it made the final cut or not, but he said, you know, a friend of Jock's is a friend of mine. 
He's like, so as soon as I met Magnum and I knew that Jock was his buddy, well, he was automatically my buddy. So I, I can't thank Jock enough for that. So speaking of Jock, he was a country singer before he was a pro wrestler. I got him on that when I had him on my podcast, and he was surprised. He said, how'd you find that out? And I go, it took a lot of researching. And um, since you were on the road with Jock as well, um, can you tell me a wild and crazy story with you and Jock on the road? Is there like one story that still sticks with you while you guys were out on the road? Well, the funny thing is there's not one story that's probably about 100, and for every... <laughs> Every story I can tell, there's probably ten I cannot tell. <laughs> because, you know, he's got to go home, too. No, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, like, he's a, he's a guy who likes to have fun, man. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that, uh, you know, being on the road with him. Well, I used to tell him, because I, I remember there's a story where Ric Flair went to the WWF in late 1991. And uh, for one weekend, Bobby Heenan went on the road with Ric Flair and he said it was the longest weekend of his life. Bobby Bobby lost his mind and couldn't keep up with the Nature Boy and, and had to quit traveling with him because he said he was going to kill him. And there were definitely times uh, I felt that way with Jock because he can just go, 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 and he loves to have fun. And uh, He's one of those guys who subscribes to that old-school mentality uh, that Rick Rude used to talk about where he's like, the real business is done in the bar. <laughs> you know, so Jock's one of those guys, I mean, I remember driving him around, you know, because we'd be out in Rochester till 4 a.m. And I was the, I, I usually made myself a designated driver. And, and there were definitely nights where I wanted to strangle him because I just wanted to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> where I wanted to call my wife, you know. And, and this guy, you know, he would just go, go, go. But some of my favorite memories of traveling with Jacques are just not only when we would go to Toronto, because uh, I just love the Greek town. Uh, folks, the Karkoulis is up there who run Greektown uh, in Toronto. But my favorite memories of Jock are when he and I would wind up in like little podunk towns in West Virginia. Like one time we wrestled in 2016, we wrestled in a town called War, West Virginia, W-A-R. And it was like the most, the southernmost town in West Virginia. And it was just like, it was some big festival. And I just remember us getting there and looking at each other and being like, how the hell did we get here? <laughs> but Jock's one of those guys where he'd give you the shirt off his back. I mean, Jock, Jock would fight for you, you know. I mean, he'd kill somebody for you if he needed to. So it was nice to be in the scariest places on earth with the most loyal dude. <laughs> oh, I bet. Um, I, I, I've met him a few times, too. And, you know, I could tell you some stories. But like you, we can't really say it here on air. But I, I have a couple stories, too. <laughs> Jock likes to... He likes to go dancing, and he likes to he likes to get get a couple drinks in him, and, and he always says when he starts smiling, you know, he's having a good time. He gets that red face, and he starts smiling, looking like Santa. <laughs> <laughs> so when you um, left wrestling with your um, horrible injury, where it won't um, it prevented you from going back in the ring. And plus, you know, um, you went back into teaching acting and making this uh, awesome, you know, documentary that's coming out. How supportive was your wife during the time of her injury and then during the time of you making the documentary? Amazing. Uh, absolutely amazing. You know, it sounds cliche, but I, I wouldn't have gone back to wrestling without her. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to get through that injury without her I probably wouldn't have stopped when I did without her because she's the smartest one in my house and this documentary would not have gotten done without her and it certainly and, I, and I'll say this and, and I don't want to jinx it but I think it's a great documentary um, I couldn't be happier with it 
and that's because of her, because she has an eye for that. She's very supportive. She is a uh, type of person who would sacrifice anything she wants uh, for the people around her who she loves to get what they want or to, to motivate them. And she is genuinely probably the only selfless person I think I've ever met in my life. Uh, she just, you know, people say they put their kids first or they put their spouse first, which she, she really actually does it. So, you know, I wouldn't have been motivated to go back to wrestling. And you'll see it in the documentary, and I'm glad we got it because even when I went back to wrestling, I was lost, man. I couldn't figure it out, and it was her advice that made it all click. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be talking to me right now if it wasn't for her, because you wouldn't know who in the hell I am. You know, uh, I wouldn't have been an AIW if it hadn't been for her. Uh, you know, showing me how to do it because she's not a wrestling fan. She wasn't a wrestling fan. She's a theater expert. She's been doing theater since she was, you know, three years old or something. You know, her whole life. So she she's an expert in performing and. She's also an expert in getting someone like me who has, you know, several mental health issues that I've worked with with therapy and gotten under control, you know, with anxiety and depression, stuff like that. And she's helped me through all of it. So, uh, again, I wouldn't have a documentary. I wouldn't have glittery gold capes in my closet <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, a big treasure chest full of memories of, of the most important thing in the world to me, which was always wrestling, if, if it wasn't for her. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Chandler Biggins, Chris Bryan. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a whole section in the documentary about Chandler, and, you know, I, basically, I've watched this documentary about 150 times because you watch it to try to try to get it perfect in the way you want, and it's never perfect, but you just got to stop working on it at some point. And uh, every time we get to the sections about Chandler, it's just, it's just really hard because... You know, here's a guy who passed away, you know, three, four years ago, whatever it's been, I think it's been about three years now, and uh, people are still talking about him all the time, you know, I mean, he was just such a, such a force, uh, you know, he helped run AIW with John Thorne, and, you know, not many people know this, but, you know, I debuted for AIW in 2017, but I actually debuted for AIW in like 2005, I think I did like a battle royal for them or something, and so I knew Chandler from those times. And he used to come to all the remix pro wrestling shows and he'd sell magazines and old wrestling figures and stuff. And we'd always talk. And then we, we caught up on Facebook in like 20, 2015 or 2016 or something. And we, we never talked about wrestling. We always talked about podcasts or, you know, whatever else, mostly podcasts, honestly. And, uh, he's just a guy and you never want anyone to die, obviously, especially that young but he's one that if I could if I could have willed anyone to hang on, it would have been him because I remember when he got sick and he was in the hospital. I was still messaging him because I just knew he was going to come back. I knew you know he was going to come back to these messages, and uh, he just never did. And that's it's just so hard. It, it just makes you realize just how precious everything is and how how quick it can be taken away from you. And I remember um, I've become really close with his, his mom and, you know, his family just through AIW and, uh, since then, because I didn't debut for AIW till after he passed. And he's one of the reasons, and you'll find this out in the documentary, he's one of the reasons I debuted in AIW because I guess he used to always talk about me to John, and uh, John didn't know who I was. <laughs> and then uh, that's one of the reasons he booked me, because he didn't know 
what I what I could do or you know what I could be, and I guess neither did I. And he just booked me partly because Jeremy talked about me, and you know. One of the last things I did because I just I just wanted Chandler to make it it's so bad. So one of the last things I did, I have a friend of mine who's an artist on on Instagram, and he does these really cool drawings of famous matches. And I knew that Chandler's favorite match of all time was one of my favorite matches of all time, which is Terry Funk versus Ric Flair, the I Quit match from Clash of Champions Nine. And so I bought a print of that match like an artistic print and I sent it to Chandler in the hospital and I just told him I said you know because it was a picture of Flair with Funk in the in the uh, figure four and I just I wrote something on it like hey don't don't say I quit you know like kick out you know and um, I just never heard from him and I remember his mom after he passed messaged me and thanked me for sending that and she said I want you to know that the day that that came in the mail, he was having good days and bad days, like days where he was unresponsive and days where he could, you know, kind of acknowledge that we were there and seem to know what we were saying. And she said, your package came in the mail on one of his good days. And he smiled big and bright and just said how nice of a guy you are. And so just, not that I'm the most important person in Chandler's life by a large shot, but just to know that one of the final moments in his life was, you know, a happy thought of something I sent him just really means the world to me. Hey, that's awesome. I, he's probably uh, looking from above, smiling at um, of all the great stuff you're doing, especially the documentary. Um, speaking of, um, I know you used to go to a lot of, you know, comic conventions as, as well, and you're a big geek like I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question. DC or Marvel? Uh, well... At different points in my life, I would have answered this question different ways. When I was a kid, I probably would have said DC just because of Batman. I was always, I've always been a big Batman fan. Not crazy about a lot of the movies, but I've always loved the comic and uh, especially some of the some of the bigger collected editions, you know, like Long Halloween and stuff like that. I've always been a big Batman fan. Uh, I don't get into the movies. DC or Marvel very much, but these days, if you said, you know, I have to walk into a comic book shop and I could only buy a Marvel comic or a DC comic, odds are I'd probably buy a Marvel comic, uh, just because I get, uh, I feel like they have some more titles that I'm interested in, you know, but uh, that's a tough one. I don't ever want either one of them to go away. I know, especially right now, everything's so crazy that they're talking about how the comic book industry is kind of in big trouble. Uh, but I think I think as a kid, DC, as an adult, it probably have to be Marvel. Hey, that's good. And I totally agree with you. Um, my favorite comic book store over here in um, Cincinnati uh, finally shut down, too. And it just oh. it um, it just gave me a tear in my eye. You know, it's run by uh, um, Bob Justice. And I've, I've been going to his shop for like over 20 years. Wow. And, and then seeing him not having the job anymore in that store closing – I, I felt very bad for him, and it just gives me a tear in my eye. Yeah, it reminds me of when I was a kid, because, you know, in, in the 90s, uh, I used to buy Wizard Magazine and everything, and that was one of my favorite things to read every month, all about comics. And that was always the fear, is, you know, Marvel filed for bankruptcy, or, oh, gosh, like, you know, they're going to quit making X-Men, you know, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then, and then you know, the industry takes off with all these movies and everything, and then, you know... Uh, economic 
tra- tragedy happens, and then you're starting to think like, oh God, comic books might go away again. Oh, I know. And speaking of Wizard Magazine, that was such a great magazine to read. And I know you also read uh, Toy Fair of Twisted Toy Theater. Yeah, Twisted Mango Theater. Honestly, okay, so I'm actually down in my basement right now, and I'm surrounded by old wrestling tapes and action figures and comic books and Super Mario Brothers. (laughs) But on my uh, table right here, I have three issues of Toy Fair Magazine that are still sealed uh, in the plastic. And I'm waiting for, like, the perfect Friday night where I'm just feeling it and it's just everything's all right and I got nothing to do. So I'm going to sit down here with, like, a big frosty mug of root beer and just open those Toy Fair magazines and just go through them like they're brand new. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I wish I could just be there at your house and filming that. And then sharing it to the whole world, going, look, Chris Parsons is getting excited over some Toy Fair. <laughs> hey, that's just awesome. You know, and I hope we beat this crazy coronavirus, which, you know, has been destroying a lot of, you know, people losing jobs and plus the yeah. pro wrestling industry, too. And it's hard on some of these pro wrestlers that um, lived off that making money. Now they can't. Well, it's really frustrating because, you know, I think about, and I was just telling my wife some of this because I think about my friends, you know, because it's odd because my friends in real life are people on TV or people who are going to be on WrestleMania or NXT or, you know, we're supposed to be down at WrestleMania weekend having main events, you know, and I think about one of my favorite people is a guy named Matt Justice, and he's just been blowing up for the last year. And I've just been, I message him all the time, and every time we have a show together, I always talk to him, and I'm like, man, I, you know, I could cry when I see the success you're having. I'm so happy. And then I think, here's a guy who's he's in Japan, he's in Mexico, and he's in, he, had, he had a European tour scheduled, and all that's been halted, you know, and that's frustrating. But it, it's good in some sense because I know from experience that every wrestler in every locker room is hurt somehow. <laughs> They're all injured somehow. So right now, everyone, it's frustrating, but they're getting to take the pause, hit the pause button, uh, do a little reset and heal up and get ready because, you know, I'm hoping that by summertime, everyone's going to be back out having fun. I know. I hope so, too. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, too. (laughs) Um, Also, you're good at a lot of impersonations, too. Um, I always loved when you did the Randy Macho Man Savage impersonations. <laughs> well, it's funny because there are two impressions. So, uh, you know, and, uh, people ask about the impressions quite a bit. And, and, and I, what, I was trying to think the other day when that all started because I didn't know I could do impersonations until about five years ago. And we were doing a wrestling podcast and I started doing impressions of Hulk Hogan and stuff. And, was my friend Mike, he was like, dude, you're an impressionist. Like, you can do, like, I, you know, and then cut to a few years later, and I got, like, 50 different wrestling impressions, which, by the way, is probably the most useless talent. It's <laughs> 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 not like I can go do stand-up and be like, you guys remember Ted off TV? <laughs> you know, like, what am I, what am I going to do with this, this quote-unquote talent? But uh, I was trying to remember, I, I used to memorize wrestling promos when I was a kid, and I would memorize Ric Flair and different, you know, I only had a couple of wrestling tapes when I was a kid, but uh, I had the Flair uh, Two Decades of Excellence VHS, and it was like really calm, 
subdued Ric Flair. It wasn't, they didn't have any Flair promos, and he's just like sitting there talking, and he's like, you know, we can go out to the bar, you know, and I was and like, you hear his Minnesota accent, so I used to always repeat that. But the one that got me into impressions was SummerSlam 89. Dusty Rhodes had this wild promo about the Hoggy Tonk Man. And I used to just do it randomly in front of my friends. And half of them didn't like wrestling, so they didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I used to be like, let me tell you the last stuff tonight! And, you know, just break into the Dusty Rhodes, like, wild 1989 promo. And uh, I don't know. It was just an outlet for me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can you do a couple impersonations from a couple? Oh, oh that's right. That's what you're going to say. So, uh, Macho Man. So, Macho Man is one, because everybody, for the most part, really likes to do the, like, Salvador was Limgium, you know, like the really loud Macho Man. But I love when Macho Man's like, oh, yeah, take it to the limit, yeah, he's whispering down here real low, and then he starts to get loud. Uh-huh. That's my favorite version of uh, of Macho Man, where cause there's nothing scarier than a quiet Macho Man who's like, "I'm just gonna snap your neck, y'all." Uh-huh. <laughs> that was great. Well, and then so there's that one. That that one is totally killer on your voice. I don't know why, because uh, you know I never believed that he talked like that in real life. But my uncle, who was a wrestler and a promoter, actually did some business with Macho Man in the mid-90s uh, for different for appearances and stuff. And he's like, you're not going to believe this, but he really talks like that. Like, he's like, I hung out with him. Like, we were together. Like, he, that's just his actual voice. So that one shreds your voice. And then the other one is Scott Steiner. If you ever get stuck doing a Scott or Rick Steiner, that will shred your vocal cords. And they're very similar. So, like, Scott Steiner is like, ha! Ah! And then Rick Steiner's like, uh, uh, what, 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 uh, what is Rick Steiner? He's like, welcome to the doghouse. You know, they're like very, very similar. That like Michigan accent, but it's like just totally fries your voice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you got to love those Steiner brothers, man. I miss those guys, man. He's like, uh, if you don't like me, fight me. <laughs> I love it. I've always loved your impersonations. Um, could you uh, could you do one on Piper? Well, so Piper's a funny one too because um, I was at I. It's funny. I broke my. Well, I I didn't break my nose. <laughs> my nose was broken by accident, and it's funny. Like even when I start thinking about Piper, I start kind of <laughs> talking like him a little bit. But. Uh, um, I had my nose broken, and then the next week I was scheduled to wrestle at the Arnold Classic in Columbus, and it was like a tournament. And I had like nine matches scheduled, legit, like five one day and four the next day, like this all-day thing, two days. So my nose was broken, and I was like kind of feeling like crap, and I'm like, ah, man, I was excited to be there, but I'm like, i got to wrestle nine times with a broken nose. Like, of course, it never occurred to me to not wrestle or stay home or, you know, just do a promo or, you know, take it easy, of course. And they're all singles matches. So I'm standing around, and I'm like, ah, man. I'm kind of procrastinating getting on my, my tights because I'm like, ah, I feel like crap. And I'm walking by, and I hear behind a closed-off, like, curtain section, there's a set, uh, like, a, a bagpipe group, and they're all playing Scotland the Braves. And I'm like, how weird is that? Like, I couldn't see anybody. I could just hear, like, seven bagpipes all playing Scotland and the Braves. So, um... Uh, I, I just grabbed my phone 
and I just shot a little like 15 second video where I was like, uh, you know, I was like, uh, you don't, you don't throw rocks at a man who's got a machine gun. Don't blow no more smoke in my face, Mr. Downey. And I just, so I just put that on the internet. And then my friend Dave Marquez, who, you know, you know from NWA and, uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood, he tagged Roddy Piper's wife. Kitty, and he's like, hey, Kitty, watch this guy do an uh, impression of Roddy. And she shares it, and it's like, oh, my God, 100% spot-on, perfect, amazing. And so I, I, as far as I know, as far as I know now, young fella, I have, I have the only certified 100% Roddy Piper impression now, young fella. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is so f- awesome, man. I think of, of all of them, Piper is is probably the most fun to do, and probably the most uh, the one that's the most difficult to stop doing. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is so great. I love that. You sound dead on like Piper. That's just awesome. Well, you know what I attribute it to? And I think some people just have that ear. And I've always had an ear for language. Like uh, if we're watching a movie or a show and I hear somebody say a word kind of strangely, I'll tell my wife, like, oh, that person's from Canada. She's like, how can you tell? I'm like, I don't know, just the way they said that. And then you'll find out that they're from Toronto or something. or you know. And, and I've always kind of had that. And I've been fascinated with radio and how people talk and just linguistics and that combined with just the fact that i glued my ass in front of my vcr for the first like 17 years of my life uh, until i got a car and i just watched wrestling and and oddly enough and this is probably a dangerous thing uh even when i started driving because i lived out in the middle of nowhere in the country i had a portable dvd player and I would put on wrestling and sit it in my seat and just let it play so I could hear it. Or I, um, one time I made a mixtape of Ric Flair promos and Dusty and Roddy Piper and Harley Race. And I just listened to promos. I'd drive around. Of course, I didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> you know, so, uh, I, I certainly didn't have a lot of girlfriends. Uh, so I just drove around and listened to wrestling promos. And that just sinks in your head. You know, like I listened to the Harley Race. Uh, promo where he puts a bounty on Ric Flair. I probably listened to that on tape a hundred times where he's like, I didn't think that there was anything on the face of the earth that would push me to do what I'm about to do right now. <laughs> and, and I think if you listen to something uh, enough, it just sticks in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sure does, man. When you uh, were speaking about Dusty Rhodes earlier, remember the one where, you know, the horseman was after Dusty Rhodes and Dusty Rhodes was playing that hardworking blue-collar guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was going to his pickup truck like he's like a plumber, and they, like, end up, like, jumping him? That was priceless. Well, they, they broke his arm. Uh, and then they broke his leg in the cage, but yeah, he's just like, because uh, then he has that, Hard Times was one of the promos that yep. I listened to. It was on my mixtape, and he's just like, uh, and it's funny because I shared it the other day because all the Hard Times going on in real life. Like, yeah. Uh, it's like we need a little Dusty Rhodes where he's like, we're like, uh, well, talk about a man working, and they say for 30 years. 30 years! And they say, sorry, daddy, a computer took your job. And they give you a watch, and they kick you on the butt. Can't pay their wages. Can't pay their rent. And it's just like going on. And it's like if you wrote down a transcript, it wouldn't make any sense at all. Like 
Randy Savage, Dusty Rhodes, if you wrote it all out, you'd be like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? But when you hear Dusty saying it and finding that real passion, that's a good actor. That's him playing Dusty Rhodes. That's Virgil Runnels playing Dusty Rhodes perfectly. You know, uh, when he looks into the camera and says, my hand is touching your hand. Like, you, you feel that in your heart. And all these, that's what's missing. Uh, I don't mean, I'm not trying to disparage some of my friends in the business now, but what's different now is those guys were really great actors and they had to learn to be good improv actors and good actors because they just had to be on TV every week doing promos and they had to come up with them. So Dusty Rose talking about, and you're talking about the four horsemen where he's like, <laughs> he's like talking about the four horsemen jumped him and he's like, no respect. No honor. There's no honor among thieves in the first place, daddy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, I don't get to do these very often anymore, but uh, I'm sure my my wife can tell you who half these guys are just because when I get started doing them, I can't, I get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, uh when will uh, your documentary be coming out so um, everybody can uh, see it? Well, it's called Magnum's Opus, and it uh, comes out on my birthday, April 9th, uh, which was a big goal of mine. I don't know why, but uh, I, was, I just thought it's my birthday on April 9th. Let's try to have it done by then, and we got it done by then. So uh, it's going to not only be on Amazon Prime, um, like our last one, and Amazon Prime, they're, they're having some trouble right now. They're short-staffed with everything going on. And they're putting the South by Southwest Film Festival on there. So their stuff's kind of backed up. So it might, it, it's possible that it would not be uh, uh, on their site on it by exactly April 9th. But it's also going to be on YouTube, which is a new thing that I haven't done before. I mean, usually we just put our stuff on Amazon Prime. But I'm putting it on Amazon Prime and on YouTube. So you will be able to watch it on April 9th. Oh, I can't wait, and I'm so looking forward to it. Um, since you did it, since it's going to be on Amazon and then also on YouTube, have you ever thought about maybe doing like some uh, DVDs or Blu-rays? Uh, I have, yeah. I, I, I didn't know, uh, because here's the thing. I mean, we have so much footage. I mean, there's just so much. And I, and I found myself, you know... Uh, wishing that we had some sort of DVD with some extras and stuff. So that's definitely a possibility. I guess I just didn't know if people still bought DVDs. <laughs> um, you know something? You can call me old school. Um, I, I still buy Blu-rays. I'd rather have the hard copy in my hand than streaming it. I mean, there's some stuff I've streamed, but I'd rather have the hard copy because I know I'll have it forever instead of losing it like streaming somewhere. And that's yeah. just and that's the same way with my uh, you know, wrestling DVDs and my comic books. I want the I I want the hard copy. I don't want no streaming copies. Well, I feel the same way, and it's also why I don't uh, read comic books. You know, I know you can subscribe online and get them early and everything, but I always I like the physical. I like to feel the paper. Um, but you know, that, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe uh, later in the summer we release a, a, a Blu-ray version. You know, limit, limited edition. Yeah, if you. Limited, Limited edition Giovanni. 
that would be great. I would definitely buy a Blu-ray from you. <laughs> and um, speaking of Shivani, um, I met him at All In, the very first show in Chicago before AEW was born. And um, I'll have to send you uh, the video of it. Um, I did a promo with uh, Tony Schiavone where he was acting like he was interviewing me. And I was acting like I was calling out Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that would be, I think I saw some people who did that. They have like the old school looking set behind it. And yeah. And uh, that would be something, I always wanted to be interviewed by Mean Gene. And I never got to meet Mean Gene, unfortunately. But uh, Shivani would be probably a close second. I would love to have, I would love to be standing there doing a promo about Lex Luger or Sting or something and have Tony Shivani right there beside me. I'll have, I'll, I'll send that to you. I'll DM that to you so you can watch it so you can get a good laugh. And the cool thing about it is um, he went back onto his podcast and he picked the top four that he enjoyed doing to uh, play the audio of it on the show. And I was one of the four. No way. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm, I'm actually really jealous of that. <laughs> and, and the thing about it is um, at the time I was wearing a collar elbow T-shirt and then collar elbow um, saw my video somehow and then posted a picture of me and Shavai where I was wearing my collar elbow and they said something going behind the camera such and such collar elbow <laughs> that's great that's great yeah. so where else can everybody else find you on social media well um, on Twitter it's at the Magnum CK um, and that's where I post a lot of the links and stuff and that's where you'll see the direct links on on April 9th, you'll see all the links there. Uh, ho- hopefully, you'll be able to go on the YouTube and just search Magnum's Opus uh, on there. Uh, but Twitter is probably the best uh, the best place to find me. I have an Instagram too, but it's a different it's a different handle, so it's very confusing. It's it's cult it's at cult of personality, like okay. Parsons. <laughs> so uh, uh, Twitter is probably the best place for that. Um, you know, it, it's funny because. There was a time in my life not that long ago where I did podcasts like this, you know, two or three times a week. And um, it's just cool that, uh, you know, even though I haven't wrestled in a, in a little while, I can hop right back on. I mean, I have a bunch of these I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I, I showed up at AIW in Akron to do their promo class for their tryout. And that's one of my favorite things to do. I just basically try to teach 40 people, you know, 40 people, 20 at a time, my philosophy on acting and promos and stuff and I think it's been very helpful for a lot of people I hope it has and I was standing in the back and uh, Matt Justice was like hey you want to go out and do a promo uh, as part of the pre-show and uh, I didn't even hesitate I was like yeah I was like I have a better idea why don't you let me go out and just do my entrance and he's like he's like well you just got your street clothes and I was like dude you think there's not a cape in my car right now (laughs) oh my gosh did you have one come out and do my entrance and do a little promo. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, overstate myself, but, uh, <laughs> your boy's still pretty over. <laughs> I got to the, I got to the back because, I mean, the, the ovation was awesome. You know, I mean, it was, as soon as they heard my music, everyone was like, what, what, what? And when I came out with the cape on, they're like, ah, oh! you know, uh, and I got to the back and Hornswoggle came up to me and he's one of my favorite in the world man I love that guy he came up to me and kind of pulled me down and goes hey uh, yeah you're still a little over (laughs) (laughs) speaking of Hornswoggle um, he's also in your documentary too yeah he is Uh, 
not only did he do a little interview for us where he said some of the nicest things I think anyone's ever said about me, um, <clears throat> there's tons of footage of me versus Hornswoggle in there because some of my favorite comedy bits and, and, and wrestling moments I did with Hornswoggle. And, and, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, first of all, that I you know, told me I'd be wrestling Hornswoggle ever, I would have said you're crazy, let alone wrestle him like ten times and do some of the most fun things. And Swoggle used to always tell me the same thing. He used to come up to me all the time. After the uh, after about the second time we wrestled, he said, I just want to tell you, you're my favorite professional wrestler on the planet. Uh, because I never took my... Here's, here's the thing, and here's, here's why I think Swoggle and I clicked. Um... I, first of all, love selling for Swaggle because I am legitimately six foot four and I'm always 235 to 260 pounds, somewhere in there. I'm an enormous man, but my favorite thing on earth is to get overpowered by Swaggle and get thrown across the ring by my nipples or totally just outmatched by this little guy. It's my favorite thing to do and I just always try to make him, I mean, and everybody, not that he needs my help, but I always try to make him look like a million bucks. I mean, I, I got in the ring like Swaggle with Hogan. And, uh, you know, I, I was like Flair Hogan. I'm just selling and backing off and screaming, God damn it. You know, and um, the, the key to it is I don't take, I take, ref, I take wrestling, I take performing very seriously, but I do not take myself seriously. And I think that's really important. I take the sport of wrestling, the art of wrestling, the commitment to fans, giving them their money's worth, being a nice person, entertaining them, I take that more seriously than anything. But me personally, yes, Woggle, you can grab me by my nipples and throw me across the ring. That's great. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great how you can do that. And, man, uh, Hornswoggle is saying you're his favorite wrestler, man. Wow. <laughs> Well, I got it on tape, so if he ever changes his mind, it's on tape forever. So it's in the, I, uh, of all the things that I said had to be in the documentary, Swoggle saying that uh, I'm his favorite pro wrestler had to make it. <laughs> oh, of course. And, you know, and, and to be honest with you, since he's part of the documentary, you know he's secretly marking out about it right now. Well, I, you know, he's one of the coolest dudes I've ever met. <laughs> and he talked about a loyal guy. I mean, uh, you know, John Thorne. The guy, you know, he runs and owns AIW. Yeah. is one of the greatest dudes I've ever met. Most loyal, got your back, take care of you, protect you, whatever. He and, he and Swaggle are just like best buds because they're, they're cut from the same cloth. And I mean, they're just genuine guys who really care about people and just have good hearts. And, and, and John's that way and Swaggle's that way too. All right. Chris, thank you so much to come out of your busy uh, time, uh, you know, to share some stories, impersonations, and also share your uh, upcoming documentary, Magnum's Opus, April 9th on Amazon Prime and also on YouTube. Absolutely. Anytime. It's my pleasure. I'm sorry it's been so long since I've been on. (laughs) I know. And it's just so great. You know, when I like earlier on the um, podcast, I was telling, you you know, I was just starting out. I didn't know what questions to ask. I wasn't that good at research and stuff. I was like, uh, uh, uh. And then look at us. We sound like two best buds kicking it in the backyard with a with a each of a root beer in each hand, man. Well, listen, the best podcasts are the ones that just sound like a casual conversation, and there you go. 
Alright, thank you so much. Everybody else, thank you for listening to Wrestle Popcast. You can follow Wrestle Popcast at Rob Kicks on Twitter, Wrestle Popcast on Facebook, and you can listen to Wrestle Popcast on many platforms uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast City Network at PodcastCity.net, Castbox, and also at Hitting the Marks Podcast Network. Everybody have a great weekend and good night. Be safe and watch those hands.